podcast ain't played nobody. Prestigious Notre Dame edition. Um, we feel compelled to let our listening audience know that we are actually a corporate po- uh, partner, sponsor. <laughs> We're not a sponsor. We're a corporate, take two. We're a corporate partner of Notre Dame Athletics. Um, if you didn't know, Comcast, the big nasty company that probably ruins your evening once or twice a week, uh, is partially invested in Vox Media, which owns SB Nation. Uh, they have a broadcast agreement through NBC Sports, which they also own, with Notre Dame. Uh, we feel compelled to bring you this information before Bill tells you that the Irish are going to be national title contenders because <laughs> finally SB Nation has a corporate conflict. It's nice to have those because it means we're all, we're all going to have salaries for uh, at least a, a finite I'd say maybe two or at least three more years. Well, so a partnership suggests that we get something out of it. What are we getting out of? Um, what what are what is the SB Nation college football team getting out of a partnership with mm. Comcast and Notre Dame at the moment? Oh, I can tell you. I can. Uh, I, I get to go and bother them, and they have to say yes to things. That's that's the short of it. Now, now I am I am the drunk drunk cousin that is now in the family. And gets to go to all the all the media type insidery things that the the NBC people would get access to. I haven't even and and if you work for Notre Dame, this is news to you because I haven't really contacted anybody yet. But I was about uh, to say we don't know it works this way. We just think it works this way. Oh no, it's gonna it's gonna. I mean, I'm 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 kin now, South Bend. So <laughs> so I get to come in and and I have colleagues that work at Fox and ESPN who have told me about how they piggyback onto different production meetings and things that are sort of meant quietly not to be open media events like when coaches talk to the producers before a game or when there's production meetings or like league networks and things like that they get to sort of sneak in there as journalists because of the uh, uh, the corporate I don't know relationship um, so I'm gonna do the same thing with Notre Dame I don't even really want to I'm just happy to have the muscle to flex so um so look out, look out for your boy, South Bend. That's what we get out of it. I don't know what you get out of it, unless you want to come with me. Um, well, I mean, I guess it depends on what I have going on that day. All right. <laughs> well, what, what kind of schedule we got here? Um, so, Bill, actually, did you time? No, of course you didn't. But you, you, your Notre Dame preview hits in a, in a valley of a week. There's very little in the way of, like, new news. We will rehash some Big 12 things in a second. Bill's got a rant coming up. I don't. I have smooth, dulcet tones this week. I have nothing to scream about, although the show has just started. So, unless listener questions push me over the edge. So, Bill's going to rant this week about some Big 12-related items. I guess larger realignment-related items. But we're going to do our due diligence, and we're going to promote what's on the website right now. (laughs) Which would be Notre Dame, national title contender, Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Bill? So it's, I, I, I consider myself, this is how I verify to myself that I'm open-minded sometimes because um, you all find, like I'll set up the preview. It, it is kind of a methodical process and, and, you know, especially with a team like Notre Dame, when you've written about them before, you, you've, you've watched a lot of games, you, you know they're, you know, you, you kind of have a feeling of, of what you're going to say and then throughout, throughout the process of writing this preview of setting everything up and, and, and everything, you know, occasionally I'll realize, wait a second, I'm really talking myself into this team or out of. I mean, I'm <laughs> I'm an optimist, so more into than out of. But, um, yeah, I, I kind of surprised myself with this when I, I went in kind of assuming that, that I would be talking about a top 15 caliber team. And then I realized that I was, you know, I think what I'm good at in these previews is basically saying, here's what needs to happen for them to, you know, meet whatever level of success they want to meet. Uh, and then I kind of try to give my own impression of whether that will or won't happen. Uh, as I was writing it, I started to realize that I kind of like, okay, they, they need to come up with an answer here. They probably will. They need to come up with an answer here too. They probably will. Uh, and I realized I was kind of talking about a top five team as I was writing about it. Uh, I could be very wrong. Uh, it's kind of funny, like some of the responses on on Twitter yesterday after the piece came out was Notre Dame fans going, wait, you're more optimistic than I am? But... Um, but no, I, I think they'll I think they'll come up with the answers for the the questions they've got at the moment. They've they've really got um, a, an interesting squad, and I think they just you know obviously they lose a lot of guys that we've heard of, but they proved so freaking much last year. There's a lot your your preview reminded me of, um, and I know you you always want to be forward facing with the preview, but 
it served as a nice season recap. One, um, I can't overstate enough how important that Clemson-Notre Dame game was, uh, the swing and the evenness of that, the conditions and all that stuff. But also, why, like, why don't we talk about Brian Kelly more as a coach? I think he kind of turned people off at Notre Dame. Like, was there was there a point in which we we got some sort of set of information or or a season in which we we wrote him off as a collective because obviously he gets attention by virtue of the job that he holds, but I don't think he ever gets mentioned in those conversations about tacticians or program managers. And as you as I went through your preview, I was just again consistently reminded of how good they were at, at almost without being noticed unless you were a Notre Dame fan well I think um I mean two things really kind of went against him and, and this is stupid to talk about in a fan pers- in a fan realm from a fan perspective but you know we interact with fans a lot I think the first thing was nationally a lot of people kind of got turned off by the red face yelling on the sideline um and then whether this is fair or not everything ends up being fair when it comes to being a sports fan and talking smack about your rivals. Um, but the kid, what was his name? Declan, uh, the kid who, who was, you know, up in the, in the tower during the storm and got blown over and died sure. and shouldn't have been up there. Um, the Prince Shimbo situation. The, yeah. So, I mean, I think there were just some issues where he, you know, either circumstances went again, kind of rallied against him where he, you know, one of those situations where he made a, a decision or decisions that any other coach would make, but it backfired on him or he acted like less than a human being <laughs> somewhere on that scale. Uh, those things happen. And I think that that kind of turned people off. We don't really enjoy talking about Brian Kelly because um, he's done some, again, either circumstantially or viscerally bad things. Um, and, uh, you know, that's no, I, I, I feel weird. I always, I always feel weird when bringing stuff like this up because I mean, a kid died (laughs) and, um, probably shouldn't have been up where he was. Almost any other coach would have probably sent him up in that tower the same way. Uh, and so then I never know how much to hold it against him. If like any, if you, if your profession almost requires it, um, and of course, some fan. Of course, this ended up being a Twitter thing yesterday afternoon, and some Ohio State fans say Jim Tressel canceled practice or whatever. Um, you know, great Jim Tressel has never done anything wrong. So you're telling but, me that people did people brought up the the the, the student worker who passed away yesterday yes. to you? Absolutely. Wow, okay. It actually so took a, little, a while. It's a little I'm more. Power. Yeah. Okay. It's a little more recent and visceral than than I than I thought it was to. Still, that's... Uh, it that's took till the afternoon, though. Declan Sullivan. I couldn't remember his last name. Sullivan. Um, it took till the afternoon for somebody to bring it up. So that tells you time has been passing, I guess. I, but, uh, um, I interact with a lot of Notre Dame fans on accident, even in a town like Nashville, because there is a very... Um, I wouldn't say large by statistics, but uh, a very a very strong and, and vocal Catholic community in the city of Nashville. It's probably one of the largest as far south. And my wife works at a Catholic school, and I talk to Notre Dame fans all the time in passing, and there seems to be this weird, um, I think, incorrect malaise that's set over them. And again, what what dawns on me as I read this preview, as I'm reading it the second time as I'm talking to you, this is a playoff team last year. This is a playoff team minus a two-point loss in the reign of Clemson, minus a loss to Stanford, um, Really, it doesn't really matter what the rest of the resume was if they win one of those games. Is that fair to say? Yeah. I, well, I mean, I, I don't. I'm I'm blanking on how things played out at the end. They were. I don't know if they would have definitely gotten in had they beaten Stanford at the end. They were going to well, come no, I, pretty I, close. I, yeah. And just but for, if they beat Clemson, I, I don't. Yeah. I'm not trying to to jam them back in in a hypothetical situation. I'm just saying we we can agree. Caliber. That, yeah. Exactly. We can okay. agree that in any given year there are more than four teams with a suitable decent playoff resume. In that yeah. you beat Stanford or you beat you beat Clemson, one of those two teams, I think you have a strong enough resume. And by the way, I assume uh, when you list out a schedule and you have the opponents F plus, that is at the end of the season, or is it, it or is that F plus at the time in which they played? That that was at the end of the season. Okay, so really, it's it it, it was kind of a on paper down year in terms of the prestige of a Notre Dame schedule, but that was largely for reasons they can't help. They have that. I think kind of asinine ACC deal. Texas was not Texas, um, but you know you still ended up playing. At Georgia Clemson. Tech wasn't Georgia Tech either. Um, I mean, yeah. Tech the year before Georgia Tech was awesome, but the and last I think, year they weren't. 
they didn't get credit for beating a USC team that turned out to be pretty good. I mean, they were they finished in your top twenty, so yeah. I mean, they beat they beat USC by ten. They beat Navy, an awesome Navy team, by seventeen. Um, and you know, they obviously they they kind of struggled with Temple, but Temple was kind of at its peak at that point, and they won. Um, I, I think that was one of the things that you know some of these close games that they won. It was like Georgia Tech. Um, and I think Boston College, they were up big and kind of fell asleep in the fourth quarter a little bit. Uh, the Temple game was, you know, game day, biggest game in the history of the of your opponent's program. Um, and you figure out a way to get past that. I was I was impressed with the Temple win. I was impressed with the USC win. I was really impressed with Navy. Um, Boy, that Navy uh, win just, looks better and better way back in October. The Navy and, team we all talked about at Thanksgiving. And Texas, I mean, for as weird as hell as they were last year, they beat Oklahoma and they beat, uh, well, a quarterbackless Baylor, uh, and Notre Dame destroyed them. That is, um, that is a fact. That is a, that is a math fact. I stood <laughs> on the sidelines and watched that happen. I watched Texas beat Oklahoma. That happened. I have pictures. I, I don't recall a single play from that game, but I believe that it happened. Here is every play from that game. Off tackle left. Off yeah. tackle right. Dive. I, I seem to recall Baker Mayfield scrambling around down 14 points. That's really my only impression I still have from that game. But Oklahoma uh, made but it, the playoff in a year it, during a season in which they decided to only play, only use their entire playbook after halftime. It's pretty. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> it's kind of like it's it's like being really good at Madden or NCAA and being drunk and messing with your roommate to the point of saying, "Well, like I'll only run this one play." If you can stop it for half the game, and that because I saw them do that at Tennessee, I saw them do that against Texas, and it bit them. I mean, look, if that's hey, if if that's how you, if if that's the kind of you know swag level you got, then, then I appreciate that. But I, mean, I think eighth uh, in S and P plus, they finished eighth. Notre Dame did. That seems about right to me. You know, they lost to the three teams above them. They beat everybody else. Yep. Um, and. While they did lose by 16 to Ohio State in the game, that really kind of felt like it, it could at any point kind of jump to 21 or 24 or whatever. Um, they they lost. I realized there was a monsoon. They lost at Clemson by two. They lost at Stanford via last second field goal. Like those are tremendous performances on the part of Notre Dame. And I think you know when you look at the um, the percentile chart that I have in there, they were probably the most consistent team in the country. They had they were kind of down against Virginia a little bit, although um, I, I I'm blanking now. But they that really wasn't uh, you know Virginia got a little what was the deal with that game other than obviously Malik Zaire's injury. I think it was basically just that Zaire got hurt and and um, Kaiser struggled for a couple of possessions and Virginia was able to take the lead. But I mean regardless, they were still decent in that game. They were great against Georgia Tech and and a lot of Georgia Tech's points came in garbage time. So, I mean, they were just a, a really, really consistent football team until the bowl game. And I just, I was impressed considering you're, you're that consistent with, um, you know, losing your running back one week, losing your quarterback the next and having to start a redshirt freshman all year, losing, um, you know, uh, 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 Drew Tranquil in the, in the secondary. Like the guys were just dropping like flies at the beginning of the season. They were playing the same level no matter what. So that's, if you can do that, you know, then suddenly losing guys to graduation or the pros in the offseason doesn't really scare me all that much because you, you know what it's like to lose guys and keep going. So I got questions for Notre Dame, obviously. But no, I just, I did not expect to be talking myself into them as I was writing the preview, but there I was. Uh, consistent talent turnover. Sort of impressive to see. Not maybe at the level of, of an Alabama or LSU, but uh Maybe in that second tier now, especially when you talk about defense, they lose a lot, but they also return a lot, and they bring a lot in. Um, there's a consistency there that I think that was probably Kelly's biggest selling point when he got to campus. Also, it seems that Brian Van Gorder is is competent and maybe even functional as a DC. I know that they they uh, struggled. We'll say against, but, oh, we'll say they, they struggled against the run, but otherwise, I, I, I'm shocked at how not terrible he is. Now, their defense was still disappointing to me. I mean, let's, uh, you know, they were what? 
Uh, they, the defense did not have as many injuries to deal with as the offense, and they rank 35th in defensive S&B plus. Like with, the, with the talent level they have, that shouldn't really happen. So I think they still have room to grow. Now, he inherited a kind of a crappy situation, uh, you, know, you know, coming in and trying to change things up after Diaco yes. left. And he, you know, last year, 2014, they really weren't very good. If I remember right, they had some, uh, some line injuries. They did improve, and so maybe they'll improve again this coming year. But that's where the expectations expectation is for me obviously losing a bunch of uh really good receivers uh, could hurt and and you know while I can point out that all the guys replacing last year's receivers are four star uh mid to four star guys that's great they still have to prove themselves but I just can't really worry about the offense I'm worried about the defense still a little bit uh looking at the schedule kind of a similar set of question marks you don't know what Texas product you're getting although I think the one that starts 16 yeah. is is a is a more defined widget than what started 15. Um, that's about as far as I'll go in trying to figure out what Texas is. Um, no real potholes as usual. Obviously, they get Army, but that's sort of a thing that they do for a neutral site game. And then um, I, it looks like a pretty uh, steady, uh, manageable ACC slate, you could say. Obviously, they get Stanford at home instead of going to Palo Alto. Um, and, and if you want to make a joke right now about Stanford not having a home crowd, they do. When, when there's a big game, they get up for it, for sure. I saw a, a Thursday night Oregon game there. It was as loud as any Big Ten or SEC stadium would be. Um, let me throw a monkey wrench at you. I know you don't like to factor out entire schedules here, but when you say national title contender, that is that an assumption of them running the table or of them surviving maybe with one or two losses? Well, definitely not two. Um, possible. But if they, possible. But if, well, if USC, yeah, I mean, it's, it's always possible, but I'm going to, it's not, the, the odds SEC aren't really good SEC ain't got no quarterbacks, Bill. <laughs> SEC ain't got no quarterbacks. Continue. Um, so, it, it, you said the SEC that completely threw me off for some reason. So anyway, um, <laughs> I, I mean, if they go eleven and one with a loss to USC, and USC is actually you know the number eighteen that they're projected to be, and I, I understand your feelings about that one. Um, no, you know, if, I if, mean, if, if that's it, they'll have a decent shot. If if they lose to well, I don't know, Michigan State or something at the very beginning of the year, and then they beat Stanford and Miami and uh, Virginia Tech and USC, that's that they'd have a, a, a good shot. But I mean, the, the biggest, the most interesting thing to me there is, I mean, you're talking about odds. They only have one game where they have a worse than 59% chance of winning. Um, and that's, you know, uh, even among, if you think about the other potential contenders, um, there's more than one solid pothole for most of them. And, and, and Notre Dame, obviously a lot of games in that 50 to six or 59 to like 70 range, we got all those road games, Texas is going to be interesting, man. I can't wait for that game. That's just that, that, that game alone is going to have like 38 storylines associated with it. But I mean, Texas, uh, Michigan state, uh, at NC state, Stanford, Miami, Virginia tech. Those are all maybe Navy. Like those are all games that Notre Dame absolutely could lose. Uh, but at this point, you know, you're, you're just looking, you're, you're looking at odds overall. And I think that's as good a schedule as most of the potential title contenders are going to have. Uh, two close losses on the road against two really good teams and two very sort of strong road game conditions. They don't really have road games this year. Um, no. I mean, you if if you survive whatever Texas is question mark, uh, then your road your official road games are at Syracuse at NC State. I would assume um, maybe one of those is a night game and doesn't really matter. Um, you close at USC, which I would not define as a traditional road game. Um, don't don't at me. Uh, it's just it, it, that game's a little bit different. It's a, it's it's almost neutral site ish when it's in Los Angeles. Um, they're on the road for the two academies, but yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, um, they're in Jacksonville for Navy and San Antonio for for Army, and I think the Army game actually counts as a home game. Um, Miami. <laughs> If they take a loss at home, you would assume it would be Stanford or maybe Miami or maybe Michigan State. Or, maybe I mean, Michigan Virginia State. Tech, you, there's a scenario where Virginia Year Tech one. comes in immediately, proves, improves on offense, uh, and and still has the foster defense. There's there's potential for Virginia Tech to be really good, um, but obviously they have you know more questions to answer than, say, Stanford does. Uh, 
gotta say though, for for a school that's playing two service academies, this is a, I mean, really just a shade off of one of the best potential resumes of the year. If they if they are if they do have one loss, and even if that one loss does come in the last week, this this potentially could be a great resume schedule, which is what they. I kind of give them credit because I when they signed the ACC deal, I kind of gritted my teeth at that. I thought they're gonna. If you only play part of it and, and you catch the wrong the wrong grouping in a particular year, it's going to hurt you. But this is actually not a stellar ACC lineup, and it's still a great schedule overall. This is a very uh, ACC schedule, really, even with uh, if you include the non-ACC teams, in that there's really only one potentially elite team. Obviously, Stanford and Michigan State could prove that wrong. Um, yeah. But in terms of projections, there's only one projected top 15 team on the list, but you've got a ton of opponents between like 22 and 44. Um, and that's, that's ACC life right there. That's, uh, yeah. that's what you like. No, no gimmies and no ridiculously hard games, a huge stretch of potential outcomes. Um, and that's really, I mean, that's kind of the ACC, uh, you know, aside from Florida state and Clemson, uh, there are a lot of interesting toss ups in the, uh, ACC. So. Um, I'd also point out because because you can't talk about Notre Dame without sort of that that outside machine and and the, and the brand and the product and whatever hashtag you want to use. This may be one of the best um, best engineered schedules in terms of, the, of broadcast and marketing. You're going to have Texas now. They've moved that game to Sunday of Labor Day weekend, so it's going to sit alone in prime time on ABC against a brand like Texas. Um, NBC gets huge primetime games against Michigan State, against uh, Stanford. And right now, it looks like the Miami game is scheduled for the afternoon, but I think they could, I don't know what, NBC doesn't really hold a flex package because they don't have any other college properties. It wouldn't shock me if that got moved. Um, And then they still have, I know SEC fans might laugh at it, but when you do play one of those service academies, you usually get huge crowds and it becomes a huge sideshow and college football histo- historian slash fans. They get into that. You still have Virginia tech and USC to close the season. This is in terms of the way Notre Dame gains attention in the media cycle. This is, this is amazing. There are a lot of bullets in the gun here. So if yeah. I'm, if I'm the Irish and I, and, and I'm doomed to lose a game, I'd say drop it. I'd say drop it to Sparty in week three. And then go on a run of beating right. Stanford in prime time, beating a probably good Miami team with a good quarterback, beating you know Virginia Tech, and then closing out probably in prime time against USC. That the reason I bring all this up is you know hoodoo or not that the, the way Notre Dame receives its PR often factors into its national consideration, and they've done a dynamite job of setting themselves up for sixteen. It's a lot of complimentary things that we've said about Notre Dame. So yeah, again, it feels kind of gross, doesn't it? Again, corporate part. <laughs> corporate, and and part. I understand by like putting myself out on because it was was funny. I got both in the comments section uh, and then on Twitter too. I, I got a decent amount of uh, you know typical media overhyping the Irish, even though I didn't really do that. I don't really mm-hmm. make a habit of that. Um, but I, I fully do accept that by actually sticking myself out on a limb here for the Irish, they're going to lose at Texas in Week One, and that's fine. I'll, I'll get over. It. I, I get over it. I, you know, I, I'm a I'm a hashtag process guy. I, I I try to you know just follow my process, learn from my mistakes, do better next time. Uh, I get stuff wrong. This is a this is a schedule that's completely insulated against that. Yeah, in in case they lose by a field goal or or, or a touchdown, a close ish. On the road to Texas, there are there again, big, high-profile platform opportunities to prove yourself. And also, it's interesting. It's the last thing I want to say about television rights deals. This ACC thing is actually this agreement is benefiting the conference in a weird way, and that you're having ACC schools now featured in prime time or alone in a national slot like the three thirty on NBC against Notre Dame. So it's kind of a backdoor showcase if the ACC can produce that that top tier of teams. Now, w- in order for that to happen, the, the games have to be in South Bend because NBC has those rights. But, you know, like last year, the Clemson games, it's in Clemson, so it defers to ESPN ABC. But they'll have Miami there, and they'll have Virginia Tech there. So it's, it's, a, it's a pretty kind of sneaky marketing campaign by the ACC. I'm starting to like this ACC scheduling agreement more and more. Um, having just hated it when it got announced. But uh, Did, what do you think about Jimbo uh, saying whenever that was yesterday or this morning about um, 
wanting to have more kind of uh, annual, like certain weekends for certain games kind of things. Um, I, you know, again, I'll, I'll, I can, in the drinking game that we'll talk about later that one of our fans put up, um, <laughs> me talking about provincialism seems to be a weekly deal, but you can set your watch in my part of the country by certain games. Same with yeah. the Big Ten. To same, same with the Big Ten to a smaller degree. But um, no, I think I think that would benefit the ACC tremendously. It's also not that hard because the ACC's rivalry games are tied in with the SEC. Yeah. So when it comes to conference rivalry games, you know that you're not going to use Thanksgiving week. You could structure. You know, correct me if I'm wrong, but Florida State Miami is fluid, right? Yeah, no, I mean, it, it was first of the year once or twice. Uh, for a okay. long time there, it was like first of October. Um, and Georgia Tech, Virginia Tech is fluid, which is, a, yeah. kind of, which is sort of <laughs> usually a, on a... Usually on a Thursday night is really the only... Right, um, because they're at the mercy of ESPN, which was which was the crux of Jimbo's complaint. And then uh, I'm trying to think of the smaller tier in-conference rival. I mean, there aren't a ton of tobacco games. I, I think Duke, North Carolina gets pushed... They, they, I, I have never noticed if it is consistent. Virginia, not, Virginia Tech's always... It's not entirely consistent. There have been plenty of years when Duke and North Carolina have played before the last two weeks of the season. But oh, yeah. I think they've got to, especially with the addition of, of the new schools, they've got to maybe carve out some and just have a... What I'm getting at is having a Red River week that you set your watch by, having a... Trying to think of one that, that never oh Tennessee Alabama you know just don't just set something don't move it establish a neutral site if you need to and build the marketing around that I don't think it's hurting the ACC that much but it certainly uh-huh. couldn't it certainly wouldn't hurt them to to tack on one or two conference games in some level of permanence and maybe maybe agree to a time slot with ESPN or, or ABC or whoever it is Florida State Miami would be the obvious one. Yeah, I would love for Florida State Miami to be like the, the opening weekend Monday night game every year. That'd be kind of fun. It, I realize it, it has been in the ro- past. I think Florida right. State. I think Florida State is against that because they're they're in the neutral site rotation mix. You know, right, they're, they're right. playing yeah, Ole, no, they're, they're playing Ole Miss in Orlando this year. But Florida State Miami to me, um, they probably also would want to play that game at night early in the year because um, it is punishing hot. Yeah, uh, I, I say make that a night game and stick it in October. Um, you know, and, and say, make it Halloween week or, or whatever you need to tie it to and just lock it down. So, yeah, like um, first Saturday in October, uh, FSU Miami, last Saturday in October, FSU Clemson. That's not a bad way to go about it. I mean, Virginia Tech Miami to me still means something. I, I don't know it doesn't mean much, but to me, I mean, you'll have two awesome coaches, two, I think, programs that have languished or on the upswing, blah, blah, blah. I think those, like those, those are sit- that kind of stuff is just sitting there. You have to capitalize on it. You don't have to put it in an NFL stadium. You know, maybe oh, one God, or two no. neutral don't. sites if it if it makes sense. My I think for Miami and Virginia Tech, it one hundred percent does not make sense to move that game out of Blacksburg every other year. But no. Um, all right. Is there anything else we need to solve with ACC? Uh, no. Although I'll, I'll use this to see another television thing. They just Ready? announced uh, ESPN just announced kick times for for week one. What we got? What we got? Oh, I'm so excited! Uh, this is happening live on the air. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna adjust this to Central Time since this is just about you and me. Um, Eleven a.m. Oklahoma people. Houston. Eleven a.m. Oklahoma suck. Houston. That LSU sucks for Houston. Eleven uh, I mean, a.m. There's so much going on that evening, though. I don't necessarily mind it. Um, obviously, well, the I crowd mean, won't. You yeah, won't get I, as, I'm as telling good you crowd. for multiple reasons. That's got to be a huge disappointment for the University <laughs> of Houston. I, well, I mean, this I mean, is. This is a Do neutral side kickoff for them. It's it's in the Texan Stadium. They wanted to build an all day atmosphere, and they thought. And trust me, there are plenty of OU fans that live in the in Dallas or that North Texas area who do. No one wants an eleven a.m. kickoff. That's that sucks. Just do what my friends and I did for Nebraska, Missouri. Drink all start night. Tailgate, start tailgating at ten p.m. It's like an all day atmosphere. <sighs> um, that makes my head hurt. I cannot even tell you how much you'll regret it about 4 a.m., but who cares? Your regrets for later. All right, so 11 a.m. Oklahoma-Houston, 2.30 LSU-Wisconsin at Lambeau. Um, I was kind of hoping that one would be at night, too, but I really just kind of hope all games are at night because the atmosphere is better usually. Uh, 4.30 Georgia-UNC. I I don't think I I had it in my head that Georgia and USC were playing the first week. I forgot about that one. 7 o'clock, Bama-USC. Eight o'clock, Clemson, Auburn, uh, and then of course now S- Sunday six thirty is is Notre Dame, Texas. So that's a that's a hmm hmm. 
take those apart one by one there. Um, I, I understand having the defending national title runner-up in prime time, but I don't think the Auburn matchup holds as much interest to me as Oklahoma-Houston. Oh, I mean, I'm a stump for, for the Cougars and Sooners there because to me that's a, that's a very interesting game. Um, I think CBS takes the rights of the Chick-fil-A kickoff. They used to not hold games on week one and two, and they would start every year at Tennessee-Florida in week three. So they're going to go in. Is it? Is it? You said it's a four thirty central kick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Four thirty is four uh, thirty central. Okay, that may actually be an ESPN game, though. Sorry, we're learning about this live in real time. That's why we sound less educated <laughs> than usual. Um, I like that they've made an attempt at spreading things out. Uh, I have to be positive and say that normally these things are all jammed into the into the seven o'clock central right. time slot. So. It just to me really sucks that Houston takes the takes the bump there. Uh, South Carolina Vanderbilt, by the way, Thursday night is a decent opener, and then Friday night is something. There's a couple decent games. I think I know Colorado, Colorado State is one of them. I'm not saying it's a decent game. I just know it's on that Friday night. Um, Hawaii, Michigan. That's not surprising that it's dumped into the noon slot. Oh, oh, we've got a Saturday morning game as well. We've got Georgia Tech and Boston College at 7:30 a.m. Eastern <laughs> because they're playing in Dublin, Ireland. So. You actually that you really can't complain with that. That's about as That's smooth right, I forgot. A, a spread. I, I mean, um, unfortunately, Hawaii is playing at Michigan. Or if Hawaii had a home game to start the season, you could go from seven a.m. Eastern to about three a.m. Eastern. You could almost go twenty-four hours. Yeah, but unfortunately, um, Hawaii is busy playing in every continent. So um, no home games for Hawaii this year. They, they got to play. Uh, in every continent. Uh, let's see. Thursday, we've got. Oh, yeah, wait, wait, one more complaint. LSU in Wisconsin is middle of the day. Yes. I, I, I just no. Sw- swap that with Clemson and Auburn. By the way, Clemson and Auburn kick off at 9 p.m. Eastern. That's a little rough. If you're a Clemson yeah. fan, you start your season at 9 p.m. I, I don't like that. I'm. I want to get away with complaining last year about there being too many games on at once during opening week, and then now complaining about how the way in which they've been <laughs> spread out at answering my complaint. Just for just for the record, I want to do both. Okay. Well, I mean, you know, that's that's why you have your own podcast. That's what mm-hmm. podcasts are for, so we can just talk to each other and agree with each other, and you know, not have to worry about inconsistency. <laughs> Obviously, the Sunday and Monday games are are set. There, that's uh, nothing shocking there. Eight p.m. kickoff. Uh, sorry, sorry, seven p.m. Central kickoff for Florida State and Ole Miss in the uh, Citrus Bowl. So I just realized what time it was. Godfrey, how much time do we have here? You got a, a, an abbreviated schedule this week. Um, we need to get to your rant. I mean, yeah, we we talk scheduling and TV times, and I mean, I just my heart my, my heart goes a flutter. I apologize. Um, all right, how, uh, how much time do we have? Twenty minutes. We can do let's do twenty five minutes, and let's go. Uh, okay, you want to do your rant first? Yeah, and, and I, this was, I mean, I think we've set the bar relatively high with rants. I don't think this one will quite meet that. But um, first, of all, first of all, to Stuart Mandel and Andy Staples, back off my territory. Um, I will punch them both. I'm going to see That's right. Soon. Cra- crazy realignment scenarios are mine, thank you very much. I bet Andy's uh, kind of tough, though. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. Um, but yeah, yesterday, because we, apparently May is the, uh, the point in the schedule where even the, the national writers, uh, who travel a lot run out of things to, to talk about with spring football and whatnot. Stuart, uh, both Mandel and Staples po- posted there, what is realignment going to look like in 10 years when it, all the contracts come up scenarios. Um, Staples went with kind of your basic, um, eating the weakest power conference and ending up with four 16 teamers or approximately speaking. Uh, and that's fine. I mean, that's certainly a, a scenario. And, and if you think that if you do think there's going to be any sort of consolidation, I think the last uh, month slash month slash four years has proven that the big 12 is still the weakest, still the least stable, still the most ridiculous. Um, and is the one that'll probably get picked apart. Um, so yeah, that's fine. So so that scenario plays out, uh, and, and that's certainly on the table. Um, Mandel got a little creative with his. I think he probably enjoyed this. Getting creative is kind of you know you don't you don't usually get to to you know uh, get a little get a little too weird looking into the future. But he managed to basically create a a one twenty four team super conference is what it comes down to. He his idea was huh. that. His idea was that, um, you know, number one, and I, I kind of have a little bit of problem with this, but he said, like, if anything, the, the, uh, the last two years has, has proven to us, it's that we only care about the playoff now. That's uh, kind of true. 
uh, you know, if you in, any sort of debate in early November, there's there's absolutely more anger and more playoff uh, conversation there. But I think, uh, you know, and he, uh, Stu's not the only guy who's talked about this a lot have, but I think we still are overstating or maybe understating how much we talked about the national title before 2014. The title race has always been a thing. Um, it's just been a little more inclusive now. Teams that are in sixth in early November still have a, a, a really solid chance of making the playoffs. So yeah, I understand I would, it's kind I would of... argue that it's basically the same thing, if, if not just a stronger debate between four, five, six, seven, and one, two, three. Right, but it includes more fan bases, I think. That is true. Um, so, I mean, I understand that it's a bigger deal. Um, but it, one of his pieces of evidence for the fact that, you know, we are very becoming quickly playoff-centric is that uh, the Rose Bowl ratings were terrible. Um, Rose, Bowl, Rose Bowl was Stanford versus Iowa, not USC versus Ohio State, and it was over in 14 seconds. So, of course, the ratings were terrible. I mean, that's, I, I you know, I, I the fact that the playoff picked off a better potential Rose Bowl team in Michigan State. Um, you know, Stanford, Michigan State would have probably been a, a better viewed game. And that kind of, I think, backs up his point because the playoff, you know, screwed up the Rose Bowl and therefore the Rose Bowl wasn't as big. I, I get that. It sold out in 14 seconds. Um, but it really, the ratings were terrible because it was two teams that d- didn't have much of a national cachet. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, uh, they Stanford put that game away in, in a heartbeat. So of course the ratings were bad. I think that's a, that's not necessarily a great example to use. And then is that the other example was that the Ohio state Notre Dame bowl, uh, got, uh, worse ratings than it did the last time those two teams played in a bowl. Last time, I'm pretty sure they were in prime time, uh, not at the same time as two other bowls at noon on new year's day. So that's again, I mean, Maybe there was an effect there, but there were also circumstances that were going to make sure that it wasn't as well rated. Um, so I, I, I really using those using those ideas uh, to kind of go all in and say that you know the playoff is definitely all that matters. The bowls don't matter anymore. We're going to a super super duper conference. I didn't really I didn't really track that very well. Um, you know that that didn't really I, I didn't really follow that among other things I among his 24 teams was of course Auburn our Iowa was not one of them uh, and Iowa came within a, a fourth down of making the playoff last year so that I mean right there that's kind of 24 teams seems like far too few um, even if you do go to that scenario plus then there were you know it's you know, people were asking him about you know how you know do do any of these 24 teams ever get relegated or you know in favor of other teams and he was kind of trying to create scenarios for that. So that's, I, I don't see that at all. And I know that I, I brought this up in, in our Slack room and, and Jason and Bud were kind of not necessarily on board with it, but um, thinking that maybe it was more realistic than I thought it was. But I will say this in, in terms of real, uh, realignment. Obviously, when, when realignment was happening in 2010, 11, 12, the playoff wasn't a thing yet. So, it, you know, it was different. But in the end... Um, all the, just the the years and years, the millions of hits uh, and page views that were created by realignment. In the end, Big Ten added three teams, the SEC added two, Pac-12 added two, uh, the Big East got weaker, uh, the WAC died, which doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things, even though it was sad. Uh, and that's it. You know, so to to say that, you know, five years ago, that's that's what happened. This humongous hubbub caused just that. And then to think that six, eight, ten years from now, we're going to suddenly consolidate to where Alabama and Ohio State are in the same conference. I don't I don't follow that. I don't follow, um, I, I, think, this. I don't follow the latter point of that. I don't think that we're going to end up with mega conferences. I, I just there there's even in the in the lust for market domination and athletic budget growth, it, Eventually, you will cut your nose off to spite your face in, in, in destroying some of the, the, the regional equilibrium of some of these programs. You yeah. just will. If there's a future in which Oklahoma's schedule is uh, start with Alabama, play Ohio State, play Washington, and then play you know, uh, Arizona State, that's, that, will, <laughs> that will fundamentally change the game. It will, Okay. However, I will say this. I don't think that we can say that just these things happen with realignment because, one, there's a giant outside mitigating factor, and that is realignment was spurred on in no small part, if not but in the largest part, by the networks, okay? Yeah. 
and in the process, in the time in which the networks spurred these guys on to do this, and I and I think that they were sort of the obviously look, there were some long-standing problems with Texas and A and M, and you know Nebraska was uneasy, and then but, you know LHN starts it, and then everything slowly starts to tick from there. A and M and Dallas and Houston make sense for the emerging SEC market, and oh God, Maryland is Big Ten where they all of that's television driven. The time in which it's, it has passed, the biggest thing to me that's happened is cord cutting. Because now you're looking at a rate of growth that went from astronomical to we don't know what to do with all this money. Let's just get naked and swim in it to now ESPN is losing subscribers year by year. Year over year, they are, they are losing subscribers. And they are going to continue to do that until they fundamentally change their model of service. In the meantime, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt in the waste, and it's going to keep hurting, and you're not going to see. There's no real encouragement right now, and I think people like, I think I've heard a couple of my colleagues say this, and I, I'm not trying to pick a fight, but everyone says, well, the, you know, the real reason the Big 12 hasn't expanded is there aren't really any great candidates yet. That's sort of not true. By comparison, there weren't a ton of great candidates in certain cases of expansion. Now, A&M offers a huge amount to the SEC. It makes a lot of sense. But it makes a hell of a lot more sense than adding Maryland to the Big Ten, which was done for television reasons. You could add Cincinnati, and to me, it's the same worth of Rutgers, okay? And people want to argue television market size, GTFO, my friend, because Rutgers does not bring you the New York market. Um, It wouldn't be a solid verbal meme if they did, okay? So I don't know if we're done really feeling the effect of what happened in the last round of realignment. I do agree with you that I don't ever, no matter what happens, if anything, the dissolution of the the traditional cable bundle is going to push for, I think, less of a conglomeration of power programs, okay? Eventually, maybe the Pac-12 holding on to a bunch of their third-tier rights and eating a ton, a ton of their own money and, and not handing it off to their schools as much as they could have could could end up being a huge windfall when they control their own rights and everyone's watching. The, you know, the primary way you watch your game is by subscribing. To, if you want to watch Pac-12 games, you watch them on your on, by going to a Pac-12 app on your phone. Right. And, and the concept of ESPN and Fox and NBC don't exist. We're a long way away from that because of television contracts and because of how long they reach. But it, to me, that's the most important factor in all of this. You do not have the underlying fuel, you know, the, the updraft to create this big fire. Just, it's not going to happen because people were trying, people in the television industry were trying to spur this along to make more money. And now they are not making as much money. They don't know if this structure is even going to hold for another decade. That's why I think this is all kind of laughable. Well, and the conference commissioners are the closest thing to leaders of the sport that we have. And so the yes. idea here would be that somehow these conferences or somehow these schools act upon themselves to get together um, because I mean the SEC is not really going to be all that impressed with losing let's see Alabama Arkansas Auburn uh, Florida Georgia uh, and then having like South Carolina and Missouri and uh, what Kentucky and somehow still in the SEC but not in this group and then um, so these these programs, uh, you know, the conferences, uh, to a fault, stick up for their members uh, in most cases. But, you know, Biggie's kicking out Temple aside. Um, and so I, I just, you know, the idea that um, UCLA, he, he used the example of UCLA. They would still be an NCAA member in the Pac-12 or Michigan in the Big Ten and all other sports. But for football, the biggest revenue drivers will pull together. I don't think the Pac-12... Pac-12 Big Ten, SEC, um, ACC, or whatever is left of the Big 12 would really be interested in going along with that. Um, And I think it just dies right there. So I I don't see – I can see consolidation in in that, you know, maybe the Big 12 finally does get eaten up one day. I still think Um, – not to to interrupt, but if you're – if you're trying to pass a, a hot take, I wouldn't say that there are no great programs left, and I wouldn't say that there's no reason to continue. It's like every other situation that we have to encounter on a week-by-week basis. Like, it's, I mean, something on the far other end of the spectrum in terms of seriousness is the Penn State situation. It's just hard to make a declarative statement about anything in college sports right now, pro or con. Okay? I do think that if, if you want to laud something about... 
we always talk about expansion winners and losers or realignment winners and losers. I, to me, Louisville is just, it, it's a masterstroke because they saw the landscape about five to 10 years in advance and they were the last ones on the ship. And now they're, they're safe for a long, long time and they're going to be rich for a long, long time. And programs that are so painfully comparable like Cincinnati are not. And, and to me, or Memphis even, it, it's, it's absolutely amazing. Um, okay. You feel good about your rant? How do you, do you think you did well? I think I, I don't even think that really qualifies as a rant. That was just me saying I, I humbly disagree with something. And I will say, by the way, it's hard like to get my you initial, pissed off. huh? It's hard to get you pissed off. <laughs> What's happened? Uh, I will say though, like when somebody, I, I've learned that you know I don't you know it's this is hard to accept sometimes, but I understand that I don't know everything that goes on uh, behind closed doors among the conferences. And anytime somebody who's pretty well connected, like Amandel, says something like that. That means that he's probably at some point talked to somebody and gotten the impression that that's at least on the table to some degree. Um, the idea of consolidation, at least. Um, and so I do take that part seriously. I just don't see I don't see the the Pac-12 saying, OK, UCLA, you can go play your football, but come back to us for basketball, please. Um, I don't think it, I, I just don't think it ever I, I, will yeah, work that I, way. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to call out the validity may just want to move on, but yeah, I may take umbrage with pieces of that. So okay. we'll just leave it at that and have a nice, awkward transition. Um, again, this is also the speculative season, and this, this is fueled in part by people uh, in, in the administration world doing the same thing that we are, which is spitballing. I've seen it. I, I talk to these guys who, who kind of just, you know, eh, maybe, what if, you know, they're trying to create projections. They're trying to create new plans. They're you know, you have some young, aggressive athletic directors. I'm not saying that's it's all it's all fabricated on the top end, but some of it is, and, and a lot of this dies down. And also, whatever data set that we're going to have at the end of this season is probably going to change the conversation to some degree. Again, well, yeah, I mean, part of his deal none of this crap on... happens if TCU beats Baylor. Right. <laughs> well, um, so let's transition. Let's awkwardly transition. Because we've got, what, six minutes? How much did you say? Or, or ten minutes? Bill, do we want to do reader questions, or do we want to play some bingo? Let's do reader questions to make sure we don't fall behind. We fell behind. you ducking out on bingo! Hey, man, you, you gave me credit last week. That means I'm 2-0, so I, I'm, I have nothing oh to be afraid of. Oh, my God. I can't believe it. Okay, first off, let me say this. We will do two bingos next week to make up for it. I apologize. It's supposed to be a weekly recurring segment. Again, we're getting our sea legs in terms of organization. Um, one quick reader note. When you send in a blind box score bingo, I need you to wipe the names, okay? So if you just send me a link and say this would be good, I have to provide Bill with a visual. He's uh, not going to do him. the work. What? No, I, I don't know how to Photoshop. No, I, absolutely no. In no way, shape, or form in the course of my week am I going to learn how to do that. Um, and also, if I send Bill something that just has like a quick MS Paint-style scratch-off, it doesn't work as well. So when you send something, the best and easiest and quickest way to do it is to just copy and paste that stuff and put it in plain text for me and then send a link. Anything that I can provide to Bill that has a visual. So that way we don't have to listen to him write these things down. Um, and we have the wonderful entertainment experience of like an audio homework session. Okay. Um, okay. Thanks to everybody who has sent uh, bingo submissions in. Some of them, um, one more piece of advice when you have an extreme outcome or a highly memorable game or a game in which there's an incredibly bizarre, uh, I wouldn't say finish, but statistical anomaly. Bill is really smart. He's going to remember that again because the rubric here is like 2010 and on. So you have to get games that are almost, not vanilla, but the stories are a little less sensational. That's just a piece of advice. Now, if you want to try and beat me at that and have an extreme game that doesn't look extreme in the box score, that's the whole point of this thing. So um, keep sending them. We'll keep, I'll keep sorting through them. Um, I had a decent one this week. We'll definitely postpone it next week. Bill, um, yes. we had a Notre Dame question that we probably should have bridged into during the Notre Dame segment. Um, yeah, we're not we're not organized enough to pull that off, but let's we're go. Getting there one day, um, uh, maybe. I don't want to set the bar too high, but uh, so uh, we'll jump into Notre Dame and a couple others. Um, longtime listener uh, at Inventor of Wheel asks, "Why isn't San Diego State getting more expansion buzz?" Seems to check off all the boxes. This is a pretty good question. I know that they've sent inquiries in. They're probably um, let me say this uh, in a nice way. They're really probably one of the 30-ish schools that Bourne mentioned. 
um, when he said that 30-ish schools had, had contacted Oklahoma about interest in joining the um, in the Big 12. Obviously, they would die to join the Pac-12, but much like Houston is, is not going to happen in the Big 12, the same would go for San Diego State in the Pac-12. Um, so the Aztecs would probably need to do a couple things. Um, I think the stadium situation with San Diego would be a big one. Um, and then I also think that there are some probably cross-sport concerns there outside of football. Football does drive a lot of it, but not every single bit of it. So that would be the it's short so answer. so far west. Well, I think the Big 12 would be okay going west if it hit that that large amalgam San Diego, LA, Southern Cal, Anaheim market. I think they would be okay with that. It, it, it's To me, it makes more sense than going so far west into somewhere like Provo or Boise um, because of the bodies and the people. Um, I mean, they play the Holiday Bowl out there, right? That's got to count for something. No? <laughs> sure. No? 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 A little bit? Um, uh, let's see. We didn't get a ton of questions, by the way. What happened? Actually, now that I'm looking through there, we did get more than I thought because I, I wasn't uh, added on them. Um, let's see. So here's one from our friend Justin. So the Big 12 has had the spotlight with expansion talk, but could the Pac-12 expand as well? What teams would they add if so? Th- again, they're West. Like I, That's the one thing I think we've learned uh, definitively uh, about the last five years is that West is tough. And... Um, and really, who, if 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 the Pac-12 is one of their main problems right now is that the network just isn't driven enough by big names and whatnot. I realize that's only one of their problems. Uh, then they pretty much they can't add a Colorado State and expect it to do anything, or a Utah State, or if you're talking about a difference, obviously they would never agree to Boise because Stanford would never deign to be in a conference with a former community college, but. Um, you know, even if you were to add a different state, who are you going to, like New Mexico? That, they, that's not really going to do anything. You have to add big names. So, I mean, I think unless, I think Pac-16 back in, you know, the, the Texas, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, whatever scenario, I think that's it for them. I think that's really the only move they can make unless they finally just bite the bullet and start adding t- uh, teams from Japan and China, which I've, I heartily encourage. Uh, at... K-E-R-B-A, Kerba, 1123, asks, Can you clarify Notre Dame's road stadium preferences, or are they really just so pompous that they think people will see them anywhere? Um, yes and yes, I think is the, is the <laughs> answer, um, because they, they people will go see them anywhere. Um, the Shamrock series has worked out to be uh, an unqualified success. Probably a qualified success at this point. I don't know what the revenue sharing agreements are at specific sites, and they—I mean—they go everywhere. They play in NFL stadiums. They played at Fenway last year against what Boston College, and it worked. Yeah. I mean, um, it makes a ton of sense to put the academy games away from South Bend, only because you need those X amount of home games on a Notre, true home game South Bend games on a Notre Dame schedule to attract major power five opponents for one and ones like Stanford, like Michigan state, like, um, you know, also I think you have to, I think there is an either agreement or a clause that they couldn't, you would, for instance, if, if Clemson or Louisville goes to Notre Dame, you would have to ask them, Hey, can we put you in the Alamo dome in Texas? And then obviously Notre, um, uh, Louisville and Clemson would probably say no. Um, and again, with the service academies, they can play nationwide. They're they're like BYU. They're like the Irish. It makes total sense. I have no problem with that. You know, that is part of Notre Dame's tradition. We rail against neutral site games a lot and, and the whole NFL parking lot experience, but not if you're the Irish. I think that's something totally different. Um, I think it's totally fine. And if they want to make money doing it and it helps out Army and Navy, I think it's great. I think that's a big thing. They help out Army and Navy. So good for that. Um. Lots of questions about stuff we've already hit. If you send in a Purdue question, I will hunt you down and beat you. Well, then you got some people to hunt down and beat. Ah, uh, okay. This is this is technically a Purdue question, but it is actually an educated one, and I don't think he was in on the stupid joke. Um, if Hazel is let go from Purdue, I'm sorry. This is at uh, this is Don Hensman at D Hensman. Um, if Hazel's let go from Purdue and the KSU job is open, is there any chance of reunion? Is there any precedent for such a move? By the way, I, I tweeted him back and I said reunion. He said Kent State, where Hazel was the head coach from 2011 to 12. Sorry if that confused you with Kansas State. It did. Um, it did. Yeah, that'd be yeah, really I, weird. I didn't think that he was part of the Snyder tree. He's part of the Trestle tree. Um, I don't think it would happen. 
really don't. Um, there's a number of reasons why you don't see this in college football. Uh, it, I think when you do see it. I've talked to a lot of coaches' it. agents recently, and they use the phrase optics a lot. And the <laughs> optics of that aren't good. And the first day press conference when Hazel returns to Kent State is going to be a little wonky. I'll put it that way. And also, if you're Hazel in that situation, you go back to Kent State, I, I do feel strongly you're going to win again, and you're going to be successful. And what happens to successful Mac coaches? They cycle out. They go back. Right. Um, and, and to repeat that loop becomes problematic for both parties. I would say that they would have to, like, that. maybe a reunion happens, but it's going to be like Mark Whipple at UMass, like at the end of the career. Yes. Um, and, and Hazel's still a pretty young guy. Obviously, we can. there's another clear example we could discuss. Um a name that rhymes with Nobby Retrino. Uh, uh, man, that sounded kind of I think it's dramatically gross. different circumstances. Um, well, <laughs> everything yeah. is different circumstances than anything involving Bobby Petrino, but um, it yeah, is on the Darryl table Hazel, that it is. Daryl Hazel wasn't getting a hand job on a motorcycle. You're muffs. Um, <laughs> you don't, technically, you don't know. Petrino. He might have just, he, he might have just not wrecked it. Uh-huh. Petrino comes back into a program that was in a, is in a completely different conference. And again, I just got done lauding the, the, the prowess of, of Urich and, and what those guys did at Louisville. Um, that, that's a better job than, than where he left it. And I'm not talking about, oh, you know, we've got a lot of recruits. The depth chart looks good. I mean, like, it's literally a better job than, than when you left it. Right. Um, it pays more. They make more. They're on television in better spots. Like, all that stuff. It is a better job. Um, that being said... All parties involved were very familiar with one another. It fit with the with the family issues that he was having at the time because his daughter was at Louisville. Um, that's why he went back, and that's why everyone felt comfortable. And also, I think Louisville felt really good about having a known quantity in there after losing Charlie and not trying to play the the roulette game of being a promising ACC program and kind of being like, I don't want to compare them to Purdue. They're definitely not. But when you are a not Ohio State or Michigan program in the Big Ten and you sift through those hot new Mac coaches, no guarantees. None at all. And the same goes for a program like Louisville. They felt like they could get something more consistent in Petrino, so that's why that happened. I think, I mean, I'm trying to figure out what fires Hazel this year. Um, without looking at the schedule, I, I, if I'm Purdue, I, I keep I, from what everything that we've learned about uh, our, our blessed Boilermakers on this podcast <laughs> alone, from listeners, from people joking, from people providing facts as jokes, from us just falling down, falling down Wikipedia holes. If the guy goes five and seven, I think you keep him. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But I don't know if they will. No, I, I just pulled up their schedule. They start with Eastern Kentucky, which, by the way, apparently just added Matty Mock as quarterback. Um, which is weird because they have a quarterback, but keep going. So Eastern Kentucky, Cincinnati, uh, Nevada at home, at Maryland, at Illinois, Iowa, at Nebraska, Pence. Basically an entire schedule of games they could win uh, and not really a single game that they absolutely will win. <laughs> um, and usually that's a pretty, pretty bad recipe. So I would say uh, if he hits five and seven, absolutely keep him. And uh, he probably won't. Trying to look here. I think that's all the questions that I got before you retweeted me, unless you have a hot one that you want to to jump in. People were asking about an academic conference. I think we've hit that before. We don't have 20 minutes to break that down. Um, uh, if we have time, we, we got the fun question. Maybe you hold on to the question until next week, the Carolina question. I tell you what, we'll wrap up on that. Um, okay. For some reason, I was really smitten with this, this email, um, just because I think it's a neat thing to notice, and it's also just great evidence of... of it being May and fans just strive, just just thirsting for something to talk about. <laughs> uh, our email comes from Jack Stutzman. I hope I pronounced that right. Bill and Stephen in 2016, Carolina. By the way, he means North Carolina. I don't want to hear about it. Columbia. He wrote it in 2016. Carolina plays seven teams that will be in year one of new head coaches, including matchups against six new head coaches in their first eight games. How unprecedented is this? Do you think it provides an advantage or a disadvantage? Does the benefit of playing a team going through all of the growing pains of a new coach and system outweigh the disadvantage of not knowing what to expect and not having film on the team that is representative of who they are? Um, these are the teams that the Tar Heels will face with new head coaches. It's pretty amazing as I read this off. Uh, week one, they'll play Georgia with Kirby Smart. Week two, Illinois with Lovey Smith. Week three, JMU with Mike Houston. Oh, it's James Madison, sorry. Week six, jumping ahead, they'll play Justin Fuentes, Virginia Tech. Week seven, Mark Ricks, Miami. 
Week 8, Bronco Mendenhall's UVA. And Week 12, Brent Thompson and Citadel. Uh, thanks, Jack. And here's my favorite part of the email. P.S. Dave Doran is 0-16 at NC State against Power 5 teams that finished the year with a winning record. Go Heels. That's... <laughs> I like I like me some measured stats, Mac. Um, That's right. And I like it in I like it in a rivalry that I wasn't that I've I've kind of been sleeping on. If there is such a thing as an is a North Carolina North Carolina State football rivalry, I dig it. Um, okay, um, I have been around a lot of coaches when I do the embeds, and they are dealing with either first year coordinators or first year head coaches. Uh, these guys aren't ghosts. Um, Running down this list really fast, Virginia Tech has obviously said enough in terms of, and we assume enough based off on the talent they have and what Fuente was hired for and all that stuff, they are going to import Memphis film in bulk to look at their offense. And then, you know, if Bud Foster's the D.C., they're not going to change a lot. Um, it, it's going to be midseason. You will have to deal with some injuries. You'll know what the quarterback situation is for Virginia Tech. Now, I know you're thinking, well, whoever's playing there is probably not going to have as strong a command of the offense as uh, – Paxton Lynch did for Memphis. Fuente told me that basically he and Lynch had gotten down to a shorthand for, you know, they knew each other so well that Paxton was allowed to make multiple audibles and make multiple route adjustments at the line in the huddle. That's a total command of an offense. So again, that's pretty common knowledge too. What I would assume is that Carolina, especially with Gene Chizik, is going to go back and look at probably the year before last and what it looked like when a developing quarterback was running the offense, and then also maybe even look at some TCU film and try and figure out what concepts that Fuente likes to install first. Now, keep in mind, this will be week six, so there will be some tape down. They'll have a good idea. Um, it gets tougher in week one. That's the toughest part yeah. to me, is Kirby yeah. Smart. Because uh, defensively, you know what he's going to do, and you know what he's going to do it incredibly well. You don't know how the personnel is going to fit exactly, so you're taking Georgia's defensive personnel and fitting it into what we assume to be not a carbon copy, but um, you know the bones of the Alabama defense that we've seen for the last few years. It's going to be great, and I'll, I'll I'm going to be interested to talk to coaches in the first couple weeks and see how much of this defense is Kirby. Is it a signature thing? How much of it is Nick? Um, or are those two things you know part and parcel? That one's fascinating to me. And then on offense, uh, we we really don't know. So that that one, without a doubt. Well, we I mean, um, he hired a pretty well known coordinator. He did, but Um, he hired a well known coordinator, and it looks like a true freshman quarterback. We'll get well, right. We'll get the nod, and then then what are we trying to do? So we dig out and we try and figure. Do you look at? I would say Pittsburgh's run game. from last year with Cheney and some of Arkansas. Yeah, in, in Arkansas, maybe some of the the concepts there. I mean, that's really... Sorry, uh, by the way, we're talking about Jim Chaney. Yeah, sorry. Um, but no, I mean, with the, the retooled passing and the receiving core and quarterback, uh, yeah, you're really uh, just kind of look at like the route structures that, that they were using at Pitt. It's going to be pretty tricky. Uh, and if you're UNC, maybe you just kind of trust that you guys are better than Georgia's receivers and quarterback right out of the gates and you focus more on the run game. That's that's what I would do. The tricky one to me here is Illinois. Because, um, I mean... I would say, yeah, I was, Lord I was Illinois, Illinois uh, yeah. might be more confusing, but I think the talent level at Georgia is going to obviously... It's going to well, right, right, the right. new staff at Georgia to do more in week one. Um, obviously, they're not going to have what, um, you know, what Illinois... Or Illinois is not going to have what Georgia has. Um, Knowing you, what we know about Saban tendencies... Um, I don't, I wouldn't expect Georgia to get too creative out of the gates. Um, I think you know with the the talent level they have and a freshman quarterback, that combination, I would assume they're going to play things relatively conservatively. Illinois could do what I, Illinois could do a million different things this year. Um, they're not going to be very good at it, whatever they do. But that could really they played Murray State the first weeks. So they really might not even have to reveal much there. Um, they may be able and, to get away with with Hardy Nickerson at, at DC. They may be able to get away with with coming in. Like ninjas on defense, maybe right. not good ninjas. Maybe ninjas that <laughs> maybe ninjas that are hiding in the shadows and then like fall down and kick a pot and like stumble out of the cupboard. Like oh shit, there's a ninja. Um, but I think you'll be able to parse most of what Illinois is doing on offense because Garrick McGee definitely has a fingerprint um, yeah. in terms of what he does. He's a Petrino disciple. Um, I think they'll they'll be running running some something of the vein of of what he's done most of his time at Louisville. I don't see him breaking the mold at least at least not in the first month at a job like this where the personnel is so wonky and the situation for the staff to come in as late as they did. They're I think 
in most of these instances, Bill touched on it. It's, it's not just a saving thing. You're going to come out on a lot of base early on. Um, the one I think is going to be predictable, but also maybe really tough is going to be, uh, Miami. If, if, if Kaya, and I, I made a joke on Twitter and I've recanted because I was just beaten over the brow by stats people. Um, and, and then also some, some actual developmental people I talked to. If Brad Kaya gels with Mark Rick, the way other quarterbacks have from Georgia, um, that week seven game, you could see a really, really potent offense, but Chizik, I mean, they, they know what they're going to get there. Well, and by week six or seven, right? But by week six or seven, I think you're you're on. You've got evidence now, like that. You're really just trying to. But most of the off season, from what I've gathered from talking to coaches, is that I mean they're really they're putting together a lot more information on the first three or four opponents than they are after that. So uh, by week seven, by the seventh game against Miami, you're going to have film. Um, but to go back to Illinois for just a second, because yep. uh, for whatever reason, I'm now you know the biggest champion of Illinois. Um, Wes Lunt's back at, at quarterback, okay. uh, and they've got most of their receivers back um, from last year. So this kid, Malik Turner, who had 500 yards and 13 yards of catch. They basically they might be able to run some semblance of the offense that, that McGee wants them to run. Uh, and, and it still won't be a surprise, obviously, but they might be good enough at it to where they can score a few points. And then, yeah, like we, I, I think that's the hardest game to prepare for. Georgia is a better team uh, and will be harder to beat. But in terms of preparation, I think they're going to be kind of throwing their hands up a little bit when it comes to, to trying to figure out Illinois, especially on the defensive side. Maybe that's, a, maybe that's an in-bed for your old pal Stephen Mountford. How about that? Illinois? The Illinois week for North Carolina. Uh, Bill, Bill will have to relay to the podcast next week that if I pitch that in the room and see how that goes over. Um, <clears throat> Bill. I am gutted that we did not get the box score bingo this week, but I promise we'll make it up. Um, by the way, we're recording on our old slot Tuesday because I am headed to Washington, D.C. for a couple days, uh, one, on assignment, and two, to attend the SB Nation NFL meetings. My apologies for mentioning pro football. I will be involved this year in some way, shape, or form in my feature writing at least, so... Uh, I'll be talking about Broncos and fantasy things and stuff I only have a cursory knowledge of, which is not a <laughs> ton different than what I do now. Um, so we'll be back next Wednesday. Um, I, we will box score bingo for as, as much as y'all want. Keep your submissions coming in. Keep your questions coming in. I think I, I, I feel confident in saying that that was probably the best email I've received in weeks. I mean, it's pretty, pretty tough to top. We don't have any <laughs> prizes to give out, though. Um Oh, 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 do we have time to talk about Logo, or do we save that till next week? I tell you what, we're going to have an announcement next week. I've got to do some back-end organizing. Uh, if you're listening to this, you're part of the, the OG PAPN listeners. We're going to have you involved in creating our logo. It's going to be interactive. Uh, it's also going to involve your money, not a lot. Um, and if that's ambiguous enough, we could leave it there. But uh, we're really excited about the plan that we have. We appreciate you guys listening to us, gals, and genderless, whatever. Uh, I would say everyone's going to be pretty excited about this idea. I hope. I hope. I like it. I like it. It wasn't my idea, and I like it. And it could turn into a t-shirt soon, too. (laughs) Whoa. Whoa. I mean, t-shirt, maybe maybe a sponsor, music by by the start of the season. I mean, this is going to be a real thing. It's going to be solid solid verbal junior. (laughs) Minus all the good editing and audio quality. We will never yeah, seriously, let's not, yeah, let's not get too far how bad we sound, America. All right. Uh, we'll be back uh, next Wednesday. Thanks for listening. Yep.